thinking back, I'm just going to say that yes, it is on. It is on. But I'm not speaking loud enough. No? They were having some technical problems when we were testing. Are y'all, am I on now? No. Okay, good. Okay, good. So as I was preparing over the last 10 days, I got thinking about my own journey into the practice of fasting and of secrecy. And I, I really can't remember uh, when I began to do this as a regular part of my own spiritual life. Um, but for a long time, this was something that I tried to do on a weekly basis. Because of my graduate studies in early Christian literature, I knew that the early Christians um, practiced fast, fasting for a whole number of reasons. Um, uh, some of them um, did it because it was a mark of spiritual sincerity. Uh, it was an ethical practice. Um, many early Christians fasted so they could give the food that they didn't eat and they gave it to the poor. Um, it was a sign of repentance, of a real change in one's behavior. Many early Christians practiced fasting before special events, like a baptism, uh, like celebrating the Lord's Supper, uh, before ordination. Um, it was always a means of intensifying prayer, but ultimately it was an opportunity to identify with the death of Jesus Christ. And so you can see how all of those would go together. I know that during a particularly difficult season in my own life in 2018, I took extended times of prayer and fasting because of a series of decisions that needed to be made. Now, um, as with all of us, as we age, um, strange things happen to our bodies. And so I can't practice this discipline like I used to because inevitably I end up losing my voice. And my general practitioner has absolutely no idea why that happens, but it happens. But that doesn't mean that it's not a practice that I want to adjust to because of how important it is. Now, before we read the passage, four really quick um, reflections. Uh, first of all, what is spirituality? Spirituality is being alive and very connected to God by the power of the Holy Spirit in our rootedness in Jesus Christ. Now, interestingly, the word is relatively new in theological dictionaries. In the past, we would have used words like uh, piety. We would have used, we've got problems with the mic still. So let us go. Dear brother, yeah. just, this is fun for me to do. Good. I'm going to put it down. I'm just going to. Do you want me to move to a stand? Uh, no, no, nope. it's, I think this is going to, we think that's going to work. Okay, let's try it. Okay. We'll get this fixed one way or another. Um, but in the past, there would have been words like godliness, sanctification, piety, discipleship. These were all words that would have been used. But the word spirituality really captures that being alive and very connected to God by the power of the Holy Spirit in our rootedness in Jesus Christ. Now, second, what's spiritual formation? Spiritual formation, then, is the dynamics, everything 
that a follower of Jesus in community does to get that aliveness, to get that connectivity with God. But it's also about how we learn to live our life in the world. So it's not just personal, but it's about being alive in the world. And so there's where the spiritual exercises. So spirituality, spiritual formation. Okay, the spiritual exercises that we're exploring during these two months. A spiritual practice, a spiritual exercise, a spiritual discipline, pick the word you want, is any activity within our own capability that we undertake, that we begin to do so as to accomplish something that we normally wouldn't be able to do in our own energy. Okay, example. Sandy and I love snowshoeing. And I have a very dear friend who admires that I go snowshoeing. And that Sandy and I are able to do seven kilometers, nine kilometers, 15 kilometers. He thinks that's absolutely fascinating. And when I invite him, he says, no, I'd rather just be fascinated. Now, because of something I'm going to say in just a minute about the body, this becomes important. No amount of praying, no amount of studying books on snowshoeing will allow my friend to join me to do 7, 9, or 15 kilometers. He has to enter into the practice, the discipline, the pleasure of doing snowshoeing. He can't do it like that. He has to practice. He has to grow into it. So it's the same thing. When I pray, that's something I can do, but I develop the discipline of prayer. I develop the discipline of reading my Bible. I develop the discipline of being quiet. Now, in and of itself, there's nothing magical about prayer. There's nothing magical about reading my Bible. There's nothing magical about silence. But what do those practices do? They allow me to receive God's transforming grace in my life to accomplish what I normally wouldn't be able to do as a follower of Jesus and being spiritual. Why? So that I can develop a deeper intimacy with God, a deeper friendship with God, a deeper love with God. Okay, spirituality, spiritual formation, spiritual practices. Now, here's the important one. My friends, we're Christians. Buddhists do spiritual practices. Hindu people do spiritual practices. Secular and ethical people do practices. But what distinguishes Christians is that we take the body seriously. We do those practices in this body. So there's no such thing as reading your Bible outside of your body. There's no such thing as praying outside of your body. And so the reason, for example, I go snowshoeing, skating, biking, hiking, is I want my body to be 
disciplined so I can receive that grace. So when you hear things like, oh, physical exercise is good, but what's more important is your soul, my friends, unashamedly, I'm going to say to you, that's a heresy. There's no such thing as following Jesus in your head. There's no such thing as following Jesus only with your heart. You do it with your body. And that's why we're going to talk about fasting today. Let's turn to Matthew. Let's jump into the passage. Now, I don't want to isolate the paragraph from the whole Sermon on the Mount. So what does Jesus do in the Sermon on the Mount according to Matthew? Okay, verses, chapter 5, verses 1 to 16, he talks about those Beatitudes. Four about our relationship with God, five with our relationship with others. Then he gives three wonderful metaphors about being light, being salt, being a city on the hill. And then he says in chapter 5 and verse 16, he says, Do not think that I came to abolish Torah. And you can imagine the crowd would have been listening and they're hearing Jesus do these wonderful beatitudes and these wonderful metaphors. And he's saying, he's not talking about the Torah. He's not talking about law. And Paul says, uh, Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish it. In fact, he says, I actually came to accomplish it, to bring it to its rightful end. And he's going to say in chapter 5 and verse 20, I really want to talk to you about a superior justice a superior way of living that's not like the Pharisees and the scribes. And then in chapter 5, verse 21, you have heard it said about murder, I want to talk about anger. You see, a justice that surpasses isn't just about not killing people. It's about being angry with people. He's going to say the same thing in verse 27, in verse 31, in verse 33, in verse 38, and in verse 43. He's going to say, this is what you've heard, but I want you to have a justice and a way of living that goes beyond just mere commandments. Then he comes to chapter 6, and you can imagine his listeners are saying, oh yeah, that's the type of way we want to live. And so then Jesus says in chapter 6 and verse 1, Beware of practicing your justice before others to be seen by them. And now he's going to say in verse 2, he's going to talk about your giving, almsgiving, acts of charity, acts of mercy. Verse 5, he's going to talk about their prayer life. Now he comes to our passage this morning. So you see how the whole thing develops together. Okay, chapter 6, verse 16. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces to, to, as to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting may, not, may, may be seen not by others, but by your heavenly Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now what's interesting, this is the only teaching in the New Testament about fasting. Now, those two verses, those three verses, put them in the bigger paragraph. Um, three times Jesus says, whenever, okay, whenever you 
give whenever you pray and whenever you fast. Now, what's so interesting? We don't pick this up in the English Bible, but when you read this in the Greek Bible, the verbs change to the second person singular. There's two occasions when it's plural, but the whole passage is in the singular. So it's personalizing these practices. It's making them very real to the individual. And so these three practices, now here's what Jesus does. He says, some of you want to do your giving publicly. And we do have incidences in Second Temple Judaism where people would come with their gifts, their money, and they would come with trumpets and bands to illustrate their giving. We have examples of people when they did their fasting who would do all sorts of extravagant things to be seen by people. Now, before we get too hard on those people at that time period. Okay, confession is good for the soul, but bad for the reputation. Several years back, Sandy and I were solicited uh, to give a significant gift to help, help a non-Christian, a, a, a Christian uh, organization build a building. And we had set some money aside for them, and we gave a gift, and they were so happy, they said, we want to put your name uh, on the list of large donors to this project. And I said, no, you don't. And they said, yes, no, no, no. We want, we want to do that. We want to honor you. I said, not interested. And they said, well, we've got to put something on the wall. So I said, put that there was a gift given for the children in Haiti. And they said, oh, that's a great idea. So if you were to go to that building, you will see this list of people and then some dimwit who gave money for children in Haiti. Okay, I'm the dimwit. Um, it's because of this passage. However, Sandy and I are lifetime members to the Montreal Museum of Fine Arts. We love the museum. It's, one, it's a pearl in this city. And we have given money regular, so now we're members for life. And they constantly want to put our names for our giving. And, and I keep saying, no, don't worry about it. It's all right. We'll keep giving our money. We've made provision for you in our last will and testament. Don't worry about it. Um, so every year, their annual report comes out. And in a moment of weakness, I always want to see if my name's on the list. Now, you see how it happens? You know, good news, bad news. But there were these people that were out in public with their giving. But Jesus contrasts that with giving in private all the time. Praying in private all the time. Fasting discreetly all the time. Now, there's a couple of key words in this text. There's this word hypocrite. We'll come to that in a minute. Um, there's this repetition where Jesus says, truly, you will have received your reward if you do it down here publicly as opposed to the reward you'll get from your father. But there's a couple of hyperboles in this text too, exaggerations. Like when Jesus says about giving, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now think about that for a minute. If I take my left hand and make it a fist, 
Does my right hand know what it did? Of course, because the neurons pass through my brain to tell my right hand what my left hand is doing. Jesus was sim simply exaggerating to make sure that it was the most discreet thing that you could do. So with that going on in the full text, now look at our specific passage. Like I said, this is the only teaching that we have in the New Testament about fasting. And what's interesting is that Jesus explicitly says that he told his disciples while he was around not to fast. So we've got to figure out what, what's, what's going on here. Now, fasting was practiced in the Old Testament a lot. Leviticus, 2 Samuel, Nehemiah, um, Daniel. This was a regular thing. And by the time of Jesus' day, Jews were fasting twice a week. And that's what influenced the early Christians to also fast twice a week, but not on the same day as the Jews. Now look what Jesus says. Whenever you fast, remember, he's talking to individuals. You can just see Jesus looking at his disciples. You know, Peter, John, Andrew, Bartholomew, when you fast, and he says, don't look dismal. Now, you can imagine, okay, if you're fasting and you're into hour 22 on a 24-hour fast, if you're into hour 30 on a 36-hour fast, at a given point, you might begin to feel dismal. And then there's a little bit of play on words in the text. Jesus says, don't disfigure your face to be seen by others. The actual sense here is here, don't ruin your face to be seen by others. You see the play on words? You disfigure your face. You grumble up your face. You look like you're in great pain so that other people will see you. And Jesus says, don't do that. He says, that's what the hypocrites do. And this is a favorite word of Matthew in his gospel. Here's my hypothesis. Jesus is in northern Palestine when he's giving this sermon. The major city in northern Palestine, Galilee, was Sepphoris. It's an archaeological site today but it was a very large city at the time. And in Sephoris, there were great theaters. And the term for a hypocrite comes from the theater. The word actually means a masked actor. This was somebody who was practicing deceit. An actor would have been in the theater and he would have had different masks and to change his person, he would change masks. And the word in Greek in the theater was, that person is a hypocrite. And Jesus simply spiritualizes the term. That if you screw up your face to be seen by others, you're a hypocrite. So now what is Jesus then teaching? Now remember, he's talking individually. 
And here's where we see a justice that surpasses. Here's what we see about a practice that you do not to be seen. Jesus is saying, you don't need to put a fence around your belief system to protect it. No, what I want you to do is to question your motives. Why are you giving? Why are you praying? Why are you fasting? And so therefore, in this one, Jesus says, put oil on your head to make your hair look all right. Wash your face so that you're not grimacing. Today, we'd say, when you're fasting, make sure you brush your teeth. Make sure you don't have bad breath. Because that inevitably happens when you fast. And Jesus is saying, I don't want you to draw any attention to yourself. Because those that draw attention to themselves when they give, when they pray, and when they fast, they're going to get their reward on this side of glory. Because people are going to say, oh, he's so generous. I'm going to put his name on the wall. Oh, those people that pray, oh, they're so spiritual. Oh, look at those poor people when they fast. Their faces are all mucked up. Oh, they're such spiritual people. And Jesus is saying, no, no. The question is having a justice, having an alignment with what God wants and God who sees you in secret, in private. He will reward you, not on this side, but throughout your whole life and on the other side. And that's why we come to this second practice, which is practicing secrecy. You see, Jesus wants this practice to be done in such a way that you don't seek honor from others. Jesus doesn't want us to fast to get applauded. What he's saying is, I want you to be free from the opinion of others. Jesus wanted to see a spiritual practice, not as a law, it's not a command, it's not a rule, but a practice that prepares us to line up our lives with a total personal love for God, full stop. Now, as I was reworking the text this week, I spent a lot of time thinking, now, what's going on here with secrecy? Well, what's going on here with the motives? And I was drawn back to the wonderful work of that early church father, Augustine of Hippo, and C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, has a chapter which he called The Capital Sin. And at the end of that chapter, Lewis wrote this. He said, If you think you're not conceited, it means you're very conceited indeed. In other words, what happens when I give to be applauded on the wall of the museum, which I'm not. What happens when I pray so that people say, oh, isn't he spiritual? When I fast and people are aware of it, what's happened? What Lewis and what Augustine called 
the capital sin comes in because we get prideful. So we do these practices in private, in secret, to confront our pride, our conceit, our self-aggrandizement. And we do it in secret so as to challenge that human desire to be recognized and honored. And so the spiritual practice of fasting in secret is to receive God's transforming grace to confront my pride and to make sure that God gets all the credit, not Glenn. So fasting and secrecy allows us to receive God's transforming grace and develop an intimate, deeper relationship with Him by the power of the Holy Spirit in my rootedness in Jesus Christ to align myself with God and His project, not with the admiration of others. That's why we need fasting and why we need secrecy. It helps us to develop an intimate relationship with God, not a self-aggrandizement, not some sort of image of ourselves where other people think we're good. Okay, so what? What does this mean for us? Let me give you three suggestions, three points of application, but then let's look at another passage to finish it off. This study makes us realize how much God wants intimacy with us. This ta text talks about the fatherhood of God, where your Father in heaven, who is in secret, He's not fully revealed. We don't know everything possible about God our Father, God the Creator, but God who is in secret sees us in secret. And He wants to know us. He wants us to know Him. So we fast to develop that intimacy with Him. He wants us to go deeper. It must pain God when he sees mediocre spirituality. It must pain him when he sees Christians thinking, well, if I go to church on Sunday and if I read my Bible at least one, once a day for 10 minutes and if I pray from time to time and yeah, I give my gift to the church. When God sees that, God says, this is not what this is about. This is about intimacy with the Creator. That's why it's about the fatherhood of God. So my friends, I plead with you. Develop that intimacy with the Creator. Imagine, He wants to know you. And here's the beauty of the French language. Dieu veut te connaître. He wants that intimacy with you. The second one, then... This is why we need to take our body seriously. Because you don't fast outside of your body. <laughs> you don't fast in your head. You don't fast in your heart. You fast in your body. And so we need to take spirituality in our bodies so seriously. And so th there is an element of fasting that's just going to be good 
for your body. But you don't do it just for the good of your body. You do it in your body. Now, it would be tempting at this point to say, well, I can't fast as regularly as I did in the past, so I'm going to fast from Twitter. I'm uh, not going to consult Facebook um, uh, once a week, which is probably a very healthy thing to do. But you don't do Twitter in your body. You don't do Facebook in your body. You do it with your eyes. Um, and, and so that's why fasting is so different when it's about food as opposed just to social media. But in passing, uh, taking a break from social media is really a healthy thing to do. But, but I don't think that's what this passage is talking about. So take your body seriously on this one. Uh, do snowshoeing. It's a great thing to do. Skating is great. Uh, but you, you pick. You pick. But do something to keep your body in, in shape, to receive God's grace. Now, a third thing, that, how do you fast? Um, there's a wonderful chapter on this subject in the book by Richard Foster, The Celebration of Discipline. I'd really encourage, and he actually finishes that chapter, um, how do you start fasting? Uh, rule number one, if you don't fast regularly, don't jump right away to a 24-hour fast. Not a good idea. Okay? You're going to end up with excruciating headaches. Um, I, I know. I remember. Um, just start off, miss one meal. And instead of eating, pray. Be quiet. Listen to God. Um, some people like to do 24-hour fasts, so they miss two meals. Uh, some people do 36 hours. But build up to it. So say, skip a meal. Okay, do a fast. Then Maybe do six hours, uh, then maybe move to 12 hours, uh, eventually move to 18 hours, miss a meal, miss two meals, but build up to it. Now, I I've had some friends who have gone on to do seven-day fasts, 40-day fasts. Um, they're really good things. Last year in our church, we did something called a Daniel fast, um, which, is, which is kind of a fun thing. If you Google Daniel fast... Um, now, don't do that on the day that you're quote-unquote fasting from social media. But, you know, go, look on Google. And, and what, what, uh, what I did in my, my Daniel fast last year was for 40 days, I decided that I would not um, uh, munch, I would not eat something else after supper. Okay, I'm, I'm kind of a peanut butter um, fan. So to finish my day with a peanut butter sandwich was just kind of like, that was just normal habit. Um, and so I just decided, okay, when after, after supper, no more. Well, the good news is, is that's now gone on for 14 months. And that's just downright good, healthy practices. So there's lots of ways to do this. Um, now, we're coming up on Lent. And so Lent is a good occasion to say no to some things while you say yes to other things. Um, so that's a good time to get into it. But remember. We do this so that we can receive God's transforming grace and develop deeper intimacy with Him. Now, a little bit of um, reading the New Testament at this point uh, would be uh, very important. And I want to read you what Isaiah said about fasting. This is the fast that I choose a day to humble yourself, 
Now is to bow down the head like a bulrush and to lie in sackcloth and ashes, is that the fast that I want? Is not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of injustice and to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it to not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own family? Then let your light shine forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up quickly. In Isaiah 58, he gives us a wonderful illustration of what we would call a spiritual fast. And so in conclusion, my friends, in this series about spiritual practices, fasting and secrecy is an essential element of a deepening spirituality to develop intimacy with God. But, but don't ever forget what Isaiah said. There is a spiritual fast where we take care of the oppressed, where we care for people that don't have, where we care for our family. And I think it's probably important this morning in conclusion to just pray again for what Dave shared with us about Africa. But let us pray for our brothers and sisters and our kin in Turkey and Syria right now. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your written revelation that challenges us to go deeper into you because you are Father and you see us. And I pray that my sisters and brothers would pursue this intimacy with you this week. And they would do it in their bodies and that they would come to have a deeper, intimate love and friendship with you. But Lord, because we're talking also about spiritual fasting, we pray for those children in the ghetto that David told us about in Nairobi. We pray for these some now 25,000 people that have died in Turkey and Syria and for their families. Lord, we know that the church is not strong in Turkey and Syria, but we do know that we have sisters and brothers and we pray that you would protect them and use them to care for the victims of this horrible natural disaster. And Lord, we pray this because we want your name to be lifted up, particularly in areas of the world where the, where the church struggles to get a foothold. But we know that you will keep your people because you 